Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Gatkoff, and today we're going to talk about the aftermath of Apple, Apple and Epic. Uh, we're going to talk about the permanent injunction, and especially the one where Apple must allow iOS apps to offer payment options beside the ones subject to Apple's 30% fees within the next 90 days. Now, while it's fun to enter and entertaining to follow these two behemoths collide and, and go through the court and open up all their messages they've been sending to each other. Nevertheless, the most important part, in my opinion, is to discuss what is the impact on mobile games ecosystem, and more importantly, what is the impact on your business and my business with regard of these judge decisions and changes in the App Store. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We got amazing guests, Eric Suford, from Mobile Dev Memo and Chris Hewish from Exola. Uh, we appreciate all feedback. So please, if you have a moment, do write a quick review uh, and give us one of those much coveted stars. It's free and really helps with the algorithms. And yes, without further ado, shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Facebook, Iron Source, AppsFlyer, and Beamable. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. I think what's what's become clearer certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business you know you could be super lucky you your game is an instant hit it's resonating with users but for when that's not the case uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level that's where we come in so we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppsFlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppsFlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppsFlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppsFlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. 
Epic versus Apple, what's going to happen next? On this topic, we got two amazing guests discussing. So returning guests from 12 hours before when we recorded our last podcast, Eric Suford, founder of Mobile Dev Memo, and a growth expert. Is that a correct way or, or media strategist? Yeah, that's fine. That, that's okay. I, I, that's, that's how I describe myself. Yeah, aspiring stand-up comedian and a pretty good DJ. DJ. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the best way to, to describe. Uh, and then for the first time, we got Chris Hewish, president of Exola, joining the podcast. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Mishka. Thanks, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's just dive in and talk about what has happened. Now, the legal case between Epic Games and Apple is arguably one of gaming's biggest storylines from the last few years. And we've definitely been covering this on the podcast methodically. So it all began just in August of 2020 when Apple removed Fortnite from the App Store following the violation of Apple's in-app payment policy. The cases progressed actually really quickly, especially during the COVID times. Uh, it focused on the Epic's argument of Apple's iOS business practices, uh, stating that they're anti-competitive and filled with insist inconsistencies and touting a monopoly monopolistic approach to mobile's most dominant ecosystem. I can hear that I'm not native English. Anyways, as of last week, only 13 months later, Judge Rogers issued a permanent injunction resulting in two key takeaways for the, for the, uh, for the tech giants. So for Apple, the company must allow iOS apps to offer payment options beside the ones subject to Apple's 30% fees within the next 90 days. And I think we're like 10 days deep already. Essentially, these payments methods link outside of the core app experience. And for Epic, according to the verdict, Apple's business practices are not monopolistic. Epic must pay Apple 30% of the revenue gained from their non-App Store approved payment methods, which totals around 3.5 million, not going to break the bank for, for Epic. And Fortnite will continue to be banned indefinitely due to a breach of contract. So reading through these two verdicts, Epic definitely lost. But let's let's talk about let's talk about this. Eric, was this an unexpected ruling? Um, no, I don't think it was unexpected. I think, you know, my get my sense was that the general consensus going into this, and probably even from the very beginning, was that Epic was not going to be successful um, in getting what they wanted. Right? They wanted specific things. They wanted the Epic Store on ios they wanted alternative payments for fortnite in fortnite in the app and and they wanted you know a, a, a host of other things they they kind of had sort of 10 a list of 10 things that they that they wanted um and and that they were you know using the legal legal process to sort of um to 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 try to 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 sort of uh, force apple to grant to them and you know ultimately they sort of got nine of those ten or sorry they they didn't get nine of those ten right the the sort of the the judge ruled ruled against them on nine of those ten counts now the suit always seemed kind of weak to me, and I think to most people that I spoke to about it it in reality i don't you know it it felt a bit phony that you know this idea that they were out there fighting for the little guy fighting for you know the the sort of uh the, the sort of universe of developers that that can't stand up to Apple while they can. I mean, they, really, they just wanted to make more money. And I mean, that's that's evidenced in the 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 sort of the large penalty that they had to pay to Apple. That penalty wasn't pulled out of thin air. That was mm -hmm. the money that they made in that period when they had that alternative payment system in Fortnite. So obviously, there's a ton of money at stake, right? So I think most people, I believe, 
you know, kind of most reasonable people that I spoke to, you know, kind of people that are plugged in thought that Epic would not be successful. They were not successful. Um, now, what was maybe surprising, and I think, you know, it, it was it was kind of shocking that the judge um, issued that injunction. So the injunction is, is kind of separate from the ruling. The injunction was a specific thing that says, hey, Apple, you must allow app developers to include a link in their apps to um, to payment systems. Right. You must you must uh, allow app developers to make users aware of these alternatives for payment because otherwise you know you're steering them into you're steering literally steering them into your the this sort of sole payment system that you make available to them um but you know that already was kind of happening right so we had you know uh two weeks before that or over the period of two weeks before the ruling we had kind of three separate um moments when app store policy was 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 changed through regulation or changed through some kind of settlement, right? We had the class action lawsuit that was filed against Apple, um, you know, by a class of app developers where, uh, you know, wherein um, they agreed um, to allow developers to communicate with, with users, um, you know, even if the, the sort of, even if the contact details were, were sort of sourced from the app, which before that was not possible. And, and um, it was just—it it was kind of seen as more of a gray area, but the the actual wording of the policy said you you may not do this. Um, and then you had the South Korean legislation that said you know you know these these companies must um, offer up sort of alternatives. Um, they can't they can't have total control over the ecosystems. And then you had the Japanese uh, Fair Trade Commission, which which uh, they in a settlement Apple agreed to allow reader apps to have that link. Uh, you know one one uh, link to uh, sort of an alternative main means of paying for, you know, in-app content, you know, outside of the app, right? Mm -hmm. So not, none of this was, none of this covered inside the app alternatives. That's, that's never been sort of a consideration here, but, you know, things were moving in this direction. So really what Apple, what Apple's being forced to do in, with this injunction is take that concession that they already made as a result of the FTC, the Japanese FTC investigation and make it applicable to all apps. So including games, right? But as we discussed in Twig yesterday, the app store is the game store. Games are what is the the meat of the app store. I mean, I think people get confused by, you know, reader apps and talking about um, Netflix doesn't have to use IAPs and all this stuff. And, and yeah, that stuff's important. But the app, the revenue that Apple makes from the app store is 70% games. And so when you kind of think about it from that lens, you know, I, I understand why they're sort of not just capitulating totally and saying, okay, well, alternative payments in the app, that makes sense. So just to sort of, just to kind of wrap this up and, and kind of put a point on it. What happened with the injunction, I think that was kind of surprising if you had told me that that was going to happen at the very beginning of the trial. I would have said, wow, that's that's unexpected. I think, you know, going into this, you know, two a week ago, I would have said, well, that's that's already happening. So maybe it happens in the injunction. Maybe it happens with some other sort of like regulatory pressure. But we're already seeing movement in this direction. Um, so I, I would say that, yeah, just depending on when you ask me, yes, I would be surprised. Um, but, you know, what 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 has happened now is that people can link to alternative payment methods that don't exist in the app. Right. So we're not talking about anything in the app. There's no possibility to put alternative payments in the app. It's all out of app. And now developers can link to that from within the app and make users aware that they exist. Mm. And Chris, I mean, Xola must be really, really happy with this, this decision because big part of your solution is offering those different payment system outside the existing mobile ecosystem, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're very happy with this decision. Um, it's something we've been discussing and planning for for quite some time. And you may not know this, but we actually, uh, Exola handled payments for Epic when they had a standalone APK for Fortnite on Android. Um, so we've been doing this from the beginning. 
And we're now helping actually some really big companies leverage this decision to their advantage. Are, th are a lot of companies moving to that direction? Like has, has the, uh, I mean, it's only been what, a little bit over than a week, probably, no, actually even less than a week since this injection came in. Like, is there being more inbound traffic? I mean, I saw your, your, uh, your CEO tweet that we are hiring and linked to, to this news newsletter. So I would assume that this is very good for business. It is very good for business. And, you know, interestingly, a number of companies we've been working with for since well before this to put up, uh, whether it's cross-play games or top-up pages or whatever it might be on, on the web. Um, you know, so there's been some activity around this already, and we've seen extremely good results from it. Um, but this just opens it up even further. I think, you know, what we're, what we're seeing right now is a lot of companies that were on the sidelines mm -hmm. who were big enough, had the resources and the, you know, the desire to sort of monetize off the app store. Um, but they were kind of unsure. They were scared of violating, uh, Apple's rules and guidelines and impacting their main business. Um, we're seeing a lot of those companies now take their own internal legal reviews, get the green light. And now, you know, are now coming and, and looking for a solution to to take advantage of this. Got it. And by the way, you mentioned two services, crossplay and top up. What what do you mean by those? Sure. So, you know, crossplay is is when you have a game, you, you take your game from the the app store and you put a web version up, whether it's on a web page or it's a PC version, whatever it might be, and you have crossplay where players can play across the platform. And what that does is is it allows you to sell stuff on the web or on the PC version that actually goes into the account on mobile as well, right? So that's tried and true. That's been done for a long time. That's always been within the guidelines and, and okay to do. And then you have top up where you skip putting a game up on the web and you just put a page up there where you can offer currency bundles or, you know, whatever transactions you want, where people can buy stuff on the web and it actually goes into their mobile account. Uh, up until now, you haven't been able to steer players from your app to those web pages, right? You've had to reach out to them in different ways and, and companies have been doing that. Um, but now it's a legitimate, easy way uh, to actually let your players know about it and, and drive a substantial amount of business that you don't have to then pay that 30% fee on. Got it. So in terms of examples of games that do this, so Plarium, Plarium's uh, Raid Shadow Legends, for example, has a PC SKU you can download the client and you can play the same game on PC. And, you know, if you monetize in that, they probably take the good 95% of every, every penny they get. And then on terms of top ops, if that sounds crazy to you, like who does top ops, go to Supercell store and check out, you can buy yourself uh, anything in Clash Royale or any of the games. And that is essentially what you mean by top up pages. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So totally legal elements that big companies are using as it is. But sometimes when we use these acronyms, we go like, what is a top-up page? What is a cross-play and so forth? Uh, anyway, let's switch gears a little bit, Eric, and, and talk about you know the best way for developers to really capitalize on this. Because as Chris said, now there's a lot of inbound inbound towards, towards yeah, to making most out of it as it's being greenlit to do this. So, so how, should, how should developers and publishers approach this? Well, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that, um, you know, Chris's phone is ringing off the hook. I think part of, part of that, um, you know, that, that action plan involves securing a payment provider. I mean, this stuff is, it sounds trivial, but it's, it's, it's not, um, right. And, and the other thing is, you know, 
you've got to figure out. So there's a couple of things that are a little bit unclear. And, you know, Chris, I would love to hear your, your thoughts um, on, on the specifics of the ruling. Cause, cause if you read the ruling or the injunction um, it's written like it's, it's written like, like someone who has no real kind of uh, you know, kind of practical operational knowledge of the app store, but learned a lot about it. Right. And some, you know, uh, made some decisions, right. It's not, if, if you would go and speak to another app developer in the way that the, the injunctions worded, you would be, you, you, you wouldn't be making sense, right. It's, it's It's obviously written by an outsider. And so the way, the way some of the things are worded are, are awkward and clunky, right. So the injunction specifically says that, you know, you can include a link or a- Apple can't interfere with, you know, the link or metadata buttons um, that lead to some sort of alternative payment system. Now, there's no real clarity there on what that means, right? So there's a couple, and I mean, so, some, some questions that have come up in the mobile dev memo slack are like one, okay, well, can that be a WebKit view? Can I pop a WebKit view within the app? My guess is probably no, right? And my guess is you're probably safer having it off app anyway, because if you think about the way that the app store team is going to police this, well, anything in the app, they can see anything off the app. They're probably not going to click out, right? And then go and view all the packages that you're offering on some sort of website. So my guess is that you can't do a web kit view, but does it have to be like a text URL link or can it be an actual, like they said, metadata buttons? I have no idea what that means. That's a meaningless phrase, to, but, but maybe that means I can have a button that's skinned like the purchase button that leads to iTunes Connect for the payment processing, I can have it skinned exactly the same way. And when you click that, that pops, uh, that opens Safari or whatever, and, and goes to some sort of website, right? Where I'm, where I'm selling stuff. So that's a that's another open question. I feel like that's the kind of stuff that'll just get kind of like litigated through app rejections. You'll hear about people on Twitter, oh my app got rejected because I skinned the button. And it's got to be a link. Apple's never going to clarify that. There's just they just don't do that, right? So that's another open question. Um, would love to hear your thoughts. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Eric. I think, you know, when I looked at this, I feel like there's a lot, a lot of groundwork has been laid in with the idea that this is going to be litigated uh, both in the courts through Apple's own sort of processes um, and then also through just legislation, right? I think the judge sort of laid the groundwork but as with a lot of rulings that happen in cases where there's new precedent and law that's kind of being explored, it still needs to be tested, litigated, and see what happens in the real world. And we're taking an approach, you know, a little bit more on the, the side where we feel our partners aren't going to get into trouble, which is let's focus on a web shop. You know, let's create something that can really connect your app with the web and, and let you power up your commerce that way and build deeper relationships with your players. Um, but we're really leaving it up to our partners to sort of push the boundaries of, okay, are they going to try to pop something up in app, right? That is questionable. And at the end of the day, that that's just going to take some real world uh, examples to, to explore. Mm. So as soon as we see those, those bands coming in, then we kind of start figuring out what the boundaries are. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I think, but, but you know, what's, what's interesting here is, is like, you know, t- five years ago, right. Or, you know, maybe, maybe less, but let's say five years ago, like, where would you hear about that kind of thing? Right. Like you would hear it like, Oh, you know, this app's getting rejected because there's a whatever, because for whatever reason, and it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a clear violation or a clear application of app store policy. It just happened. And how would you hear about that? You hear about it at GDC. Or you'd hear about it at, you know, you hired someone from company X and they came in mm-hmm. and said, oh, well, one time we did this thing. Like now, I mean, you've got the mobile dev memo slack, 
You've got, you know, a pretty active, you know, kind of app developer community on Twitter. You know, you've got the, the um, you know, you've, you've got the Deconstructor Fun Slack. You've got a number of Slacks that are where this information gets shared very quickly. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like at, at least, you know, before it was this very opaque sort of like Byzantine process. And now it's like, well, OK, yeah, it still is. But we at least hear about the failures and can 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 sort of like deduce from you know, well, okay, I heard that this person tried this and this person. I mean, a good example is with the ATT pop-ups. Like, how do we know it's acceptable? Well, Apple is not very clear about it. But, you know, in the mobile dev memo slack, I've seen, you know, 30 different variations of someone obviously pushing the boundaries and getting slapped on the hand, right? So at least we can go through that sort of process of deduction by reduction, right, um, in these open communities now, whereas that, like, wasn't really the case, like, five years ago. Um, but I think, you know, to, to the question, I think how to prepare for it well, mm-hmm. first is get the web shop set up. I think the other thing is think about how this impacts your economy, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made the point on Twitter the other day. It's like, well, okay, if you start having to incentivize the click out to the web with discounts, you're just eroding whatever benefit you would have gotten. Right. And that's, that's obviously, you know, gonna, gonna, you know, sort of, sort of impacts the, the, the benefit of this, but you know, some people responded, well, you could just bundle stuff. And so you don't reduce the price. You just add more. So, well, that's going to blow up your economy, right? You need to be very thoughtful about that. You can't just bundle a bunch of stuff together and, and then charge the same price. That's, that's going to have real impacts on your economy. There was a, there was a conspiracy theory. Oh, finally, I can talk about conspiracy theories. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, about Hearthstone and that, that if you purchase the card packs in Battleland, like you would play it on PC, the gotcha would be better that if you do the same purchases on iOS or Google Play. Like this is a total conspiracy theory, but at least I saw that oftentimes. And if I would have been buying card packs, I'm like, ah, like it's going to be just a little bit of a better drop if I pay the same amount of money, but in the PC SKU. So just saying that could be the best strategy if you have gotcha in your game to kind of just incept that in Reddit that there might be better drops. That's a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love a good conspiracy theory. I, I actually bought into that on Apex Legends, my, my, my game, where I'm like, all right, you know, if you buy the battle pass, you get a little bit better of a, uh, you know, matchmaking. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but um, no, I, I'm not saying that's the case. That yeah, just, no. just a joke. Just a conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> I mean, I spend my money. But um, no, look. You know, I think when it comes to the economy, there's a couple of things that people should start to think about, um, you know, not just rushing to, oh, great, we can offer better discounts, you know, off of the app on the web. Uh, instead, look at it as and we're seeing this from our own data, from partners that we have already been working with for a year now. We're running web shops. Uh, it's a great opportunity to start converting some of your non spenders into spenders. So we're actually seeing an increase. It's in spenders, you know, initially the thinking was great. We'll migrate our whales. We'll give some special offers, capture, you know, a bigger revenue share from our big spenders. Uh, but we're actually seeing that all players are taking advantage of it. And because going out of the app store and doing these alternative payment mechanisms, you're able to offer many more payment options, right? Which can capture a good 30% of your players who may not have PayPal or credit card, who may come from territories that are, you know, not are unbanked, right? And they're using alternative methods to, to purchase. You know, these players want to spend and they haven't been able to through the app store. So we're seeing that companies are able to capture those players and convert them into spenders. So you're getting kind of two benefits here. You're getting increased margins by not paying that 30% tax. And then you're also increasing your spender base 
by getting all these you know, non-spenders who want to spend converted into spenders with their local payment methods. That's, that's really interesting. You mentioned different payment methods and that kind of let me, oh my God, I hate the word conspiracy theory, but another one where we're talking to a big Asian developer and they were talking, uh, a developer publisher, and they were talking about their success in Southeast Asia that is traditionally really low monetizing countries. And they were like, well, you're just not seeing what we're seeing because we're using um, other alternative payment methods. And they explained, but naturally I've never been to Vietnam. No, not naturally. It's not like I wouldn't want to go to Vietnam, but I haven't been to Vietnam, so I don't know what kind of payment methods they use. And they described it, and I already forgot. But is that something, some something, Chris, that, that you've seen before that that companies are using alternative payment methods, especially in in uh, developing economies? Absolutely. You know, uh, we we see it all over. I mean, Brazil is a great example. Southeast Asia is a great example. Uh, a lot of the emerging markets, right, in Africa and, and India. And um, I mean, you have big, big active player bases there and you have people that want to spend. But, you know, I mean, this is this this one is starting to fade a little bit. It still is a real thing. Uh, but, you, you know, cash kiosks, you have people that go to these like ATMs and deposit cash into their Steam account on PC. Right. The same thing with with mobile. They could deposit it into an account that can be used uh, in mobile this way. And, you know, you have super apps that are coming along now that have payment mechanisms within them that can link out to a game. So there's a lot of different ways, mm -hmm. right, that people can spend. And, you know, in a tier one kind of territories, we get a little, you know, we're a little used to and a little blind to the fact that not everybody has a credit card. Yeah. And um, it, it truly is a big opportunity for, for companies. And, and it's not just hypothetical, like I'm actually seeing the data yeah. how much of a lift this is providing and, and we estimate that it that it can increase your your revenue by about 30 percent uh and that's that's how much is being left on the table by missing out on on these players okay so top up pages can lift up your games revenue by by 30 percent yeah yeah how much how long does it take to to make a top up page like it doesn't look that difficult no, I mean, you know, different different people. I can only speak for ourselves. And, I, yeah. and by the way, I don't want to be a, a salesy guy yeah. on the show here. But for us, we can get it up up and running in no time. We, we have a system that basically points at your app page, scrapes the metadata, and it'll automatically create a page for you with pricing, with links, with the whole the whole thing. So, um, you know, and then it, it so in no time at all. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's what it looks like when I when I you know, research a little bit of these pages. Like it, it's not very custom, if you will. Like, you know, I'm right. not blown away. There could be a exactly. lot more things done. Like it doesn't show you the best packages or whatnot. It's just kind of like, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the basic way, right? Yeah. You know, you can actually, you know, what I'm really curious to see is how, how developers and publishers are gonna lean into this mm -hmm. and start to build out, you know, kind of a community hub, right? And where they can really start to engage with their players. And, you know, I think on the, on the mobile side, you haven't necessarily seen those communities the way you do on PC, mm -hmm. right? And um, to me, that's that's an exciting opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think there, to me, there's like two kind of interesting things that get unlocked here, right? So it's like one is, you know, like the supercell approach. It's like, well, if you've got a portfolio with multiple games and you're pushing people to this web store, you can sell them packages that apply to the whole portfolio. It doesn't have to be like single game packages. And, and I think, you know, you see a lot more developers with the capacity to do that. And Post kind of ATT, everyone has been thinking about like, how do we build identity? How do we build an actual, you know, sort of um, system 
that you know players can can use that tells us who these people are when they play our games right if they're playing multiple of the games because because we need that information and we lose it with 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 the loss of the idfa so that's one thing you know another thing you know just having this this place where you can buy stuff that applies to the entire portfolio right doesn't have to be just one game the other is you know the app store is like hasn't really been changed since like 2014 that was the last big makeover it got and you know you've got awesome tools like geek lab um for like aso uh purposes but we don't have really anything for like price testing right like you have um you know the the you have just sort of the normal ability to a b mm -hmm. test but what you get with a web and why the web is so compelling versus just apps that have to go through like a review process and there's actually like development you know you can't push an app update you know instantly like you can with a web page change is like you could just test everything it's so much faster to do testing on the web right so you could test package pricing you could test uh the bundling you could test the display you know of, of of packages against each other you could test color codes for you know the the buttons red does that lead to higher conversion than yellow and you can do all that kind of testing like just in real time instantly without having to push an update right which is just makes that testing process so much faster and more robust uh could you also do like player acquisition that directs through directly to the top-up page, like just show ads of the top-up page to your existing players, you know, using... Yeah, you could do retargeting that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just... Like the, the, whole, the whole reason why a lot of UA budget had been shifting to the web anyway is for that reason, like you can get, and not, not for games, like this is for like subscription apps and stuff, but because you can do that, like the conversion funnel was so brutal for a lot of these like subscription apps that the app store was just insufficient in terms of like giving you testing ability, right? Like in order to, in order to optimize the conversion, like the app store just wasn't, it, it just didn't, it just didn't provide you with, with enough, um, uh, you know, with, with a, sort of like a sufficient surface area, right. To do testing. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I push an update, gather some data in a week, I push an update. And so like a lot of these subscriptions, I started pushing to the web because their funnel is so involved that they could and and they could do like you know and, and it'd be like a 20 pay a 20 sort of step process you could set up like a page for each one of those steps and then change the ordering change the wording on a specific page and 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 whatever else and i think and that and so people are driving spending their, their ua money to drive people to the web to do that funnel onboarding and then drive people to the app well now you can do the same thing with the storefront right it's not doesn't have to just be within the app where you're sort of constrained by just the just this, the, the, the sort of like um, the lack of tooling and, and the general sort of like slowness of doing any sort of app store update. You can do everything in kind of real time with the website. And that's, that's super powerful to, to companies that want to dedicate resources there. Mm. Chris, how, do you, how common is this? Like, like these portfolio bundle packages? I've never seen anything like this before. That sounds really interesting. And then price point testing, especially price point testing within different countries. Like that should be pretty interesting. Like how do you find the perfect price point for Brazil? or you know vietnam or philippines like we understand already the price points in, in the tier one countries like how how much companies are doing that and then the number three is like is there any retargeting being done where you target existing players and get them to the top up page that's being set up yeah you know i think um it, it definitely the the ability to do this uh sorry i'm trying to break down your yeah, three yeah, questions so, in my head sorry i just i just i just like throw too many questions oftentimes. So let's just exactly. do only one question, so, like portfolio bundle packages. Like is that right, right. done? 
Yeah. So portfolio bundle packs, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's really interesting and a great example of where this can go. Mm -hmm. um, I personally haven't seen that happening yet because uh, at least from, from our experience, it's been more companies putting single games up, right? We are, we have a number of partners that are actually rolling their portfolios out over the coming months. Um, so we can check back in on that. Yeah. And when it comes to the different, the pricing, definitely we've seen testing on pricing. Uh, especially for some of the more engaged players. And uh, when it comes to the different countries, one of the benefits that, that we haven't talked about in, in addition to regional pricing, which definitely is, is a thing, is um, also testing, being able to change the, the layout of the different payment options. Like what are the top three payment options that you're showing? So you can test which ones are actually gonna work best in a region, right? Um, so not only can you test pricing, but you can test which of the payment options for that region are the most engaged for gamers, mm. right? So, you know, I think there's so many ways that you can benefit from this. And then we haven't even talked about some of the real, you know, sort of uh, advanced web commerce type of, of behaviors like um, behavioral pricing, mm -hmm. right? Getting to know the player and offering different pricing based upon the player's spend history, you know, with yourself and your, your portfolio. So there's a lot of opportunity here. A lot, some of it's already being done, but most of it is white space to be leaned yeah, into. For sure. I mean, uh, the portfolio bundle package sounds really interesting. They should call that yeah. the Suford package since you, you really came up with that. So that's the, other, the <laughs> new product, like get cross people promotion. Are doing, people <laughs> yeah. are doing that. I think that's already happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay. So let's, let's move forward and let's talk about like what was before, because I mean, this is like, like we've discussed, this is nothing new. It's just more, accepted right now because the Spotify's and Netflix's and other subscription services, they were able to monetize outside iOS, outside Google play before. And my question is like, why wasn't this done by, by gaming companies? Like I think super, you wrote something about this. Would you like to kick it off and move to Chris? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, first of all, you know, with the game, um, for the most part, they monetize via IAPs. Right. And so that's mm -hmm. like an in the moment thing. And, you know, any kind of friction there is going to be a little bit disruptive, right? I think, you know, the other thing is um, it, it hasn't really been that long that we've had these kind of iconic uh, brand-driven, you know, games companies, right? So Supercell was doing this. Fortnite was doing this. Roblox does this, right? I mean, all those companies were doing this. Um, but, you know, I think if you get to that point where you're – and I, I do think it's prob there's probably like – I don't know if you think about the universe of companies that can probably do this to like great effect and really transform their business. It's probably not that many, but they're the biggest. And so it's a meaningful portion of like the sort of, again, I was talking about the, the games app, the app stores, the game store It's probably a meaningful chunk of that revenue. Um, but I think, you know, it, as we get more and more of these games, like this is only going to get more and more relevant. Right. So like, you know, a supercell doing this, that makes total sense. Like a flappy bird doing this, no one's going to click out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, you know, you, you've just got, there's a whole, it's a stratified market and there's like people that can do this and people that can't. If you think about the second order effects of this, you know, you start to see companies that, that see an opportunity to build unified storefronts across all the properties, across all their platforms. Right. And, you know, a couple months ago, I wrote this like kind of three-part series about the future of the future of mobile content platforms. And I made, I made the argument that like, you won't think about the platform as as one to one related to the hardware form factor. You'll think about the platform as this sort of cloud source of content that is that you can connect to via any hardware form factor. I can connect via my desktop. I can connect via my phone. I can connect via my tablet because that's what consumers are starting to demand. Mm -hmm. No one thinks about oh, the iPhone is where I watch Disney Plus. No, 
I watch Disney Plus on my TV. I watch it on my phone. I watch it on my tablet. I can watch it on my desktop. And that's what people are demanding. Well, that store, that unified storefront is, is, a, is a big part of that, right? And now that, you know, this is, you know, now that I can, within my app, link to that, it just makes pr- progress in that direction a lot um, smoother and probably accelerates it. Mm. Chris, what's your, what's your take on, on this? Like what, like, I mean, cause you've been, it's not like Pixel launched last week. Like you've been doing this right. for, for a while. Like how was it done before? And, and can you speak on that? Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, to that note, we've been around 16 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when I think you, when you look at Spotify, Netflix, companies like those, as Eric pointed out, they also, they already had a strong presence or they have a strong presence beyond just mobile. Right. They're not viewed as just a mobile uh, product and they have a great web, web presence. Um, their content is consumed all over the place. Right. It's not just consumed on the on the one piece of hardware. So that really allowed them to engage with their users off platform uh, really easily. And when you're looking on the game side of it, I think there's a parallel there. Well, I would say that these were cross platform products. Right. To, to go back to that earlier comment. So if you look at games that have, have been cross-platform, there have been game companies already doing this. Um, and the ones that can take advantage of it, I think, are the ones that have those communities that are large enough uh, where they exist and want to consume the content everywhere, right? They're not just, like you said, Flappy Birds. You know, you don't have a lot of people going online trying to find Flappy Bird communities, right? Or, you know, talk about events and, you know, what's coming up. Um, but you do in other games, right? Supercell, obviously, you know, their games, uh, you know, Nexters with Hero Wars, uh, you know, these are all examples of, of people that have a big enough uh, game and community that the community is engaging content everywhere. So it makes it a lot easier to hit them up on the web because they're already over there. And, um, you know, it's been surprising, honestly, that more developers haven't done this. You know, I think it's an opportunity that that there's a lot of upside with little little downside, little upfront cost. And now we're going to see more of it. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your tru- your tools truly are. Well, listen. If your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because deconstructor of fun told you so. You mentioned some of these these big publishers. I mean the uh, the Nexters and the uh, the Supercells. So, do you think that this benefits the most these big publishers with large cross platform games and you know significant portfolios, or, I mean, is there anything for the the sort of a small to mid sized publishers? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it it benefits developers and publishers of all sizes, but to different degrees, right, and on different time horizons. Um, you know, I think from our perspective, the common benefit relates to developers finally being able to create a bridge between their apps and their presence on the web 
and where they can do all of their commerce, they can work their community and they can market right their apps in ways that they haven't been able to do before, as, as Eric had kind of mentioned. Um, and basically it's a great opportunity for mobile devs to earn significantly more money and develop those deeper relationships with their players through the data that they're going to be have access to that they wouldn't before. And, um, you know, but all of this does require resources and bandwidth, right? Uh, so which to, to answer the question means that the obvious initial winners are the larger developers and publishers who have the resources, who have the bandwidth. And by that, I mean, they have team members, yeah. right? Who can actually do the work to take advantage of this. And that's something, as I said before, we've, we've been doing for a while. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing with some of these, when, when they do it right, uh, we're actually seeing revenue bumps that are upwards of 40%, right? Coming out of this for, for a lot of the big companies. And um, this has all been done under the current sort of restrictive uh, and now illegal anti-steering practices. Um, and the, these, these are the enterprise companies, right? That we're talking about and they can drive traffic back and forth. Um, but you know, when you, you have asked about the midsize and smaller devs and they can benefit as well, right? This isn't just, I think the immediate opportunity and I'll look away from my notes here and just talk about yeah, it. You know, the immediate opportunity is obviously the big ones who can move quickly, but smaller devs, they can definitely benefit from this, right? Um, you know, they, they can, it's an area I want to see evolve, but the tools are out there where they can act just like a big company and they can get their presence up on the web very easily at low cost. Um, and they can start to operate outside of the platforms. And, and the parallel I'll make here is, you know, we've been doing this on PC for quite a while and we've seen a lot of indie devs who would be like, you know, small mobile devs who have seen success uh, by operating outside of the app store, you, you know, off of Steam, uh, some of them are off Steam completely, like Battlestate games with Escape from Tarkov. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's an indie dev that's having AAA success, and they're they're not even on right the platform. They're doing it all just straight straight from the web on their own. So, you know, they're doing that because they're able to work directly with the community. They have very you know very unique sort of pre order packs that they're selling. So, you know, there is opportunity for the small devs. Uh, my biggest question is just, do they have the, the resources internally, the people to take advantage of it? Right. And so, so tools are there. Yes. Right? So basically the, the question is like, how do you drive? I mean, is the question like, how do you drive tra traffic to your, uh, the top up pages or your, or your cross play games or, or what's the, uh, what's the challenge for the small ones? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely it. Right. You know, the big companies can spend, right. They can buy ads to drive traffic over there, they can, they can reach out to their database that they already have of users, right. That they've been gathering, um, for the small, for the small devs, they're going to have to take a page out of kind of the indie, indie PC mm -hmm. side of it, where you're building your community, you're engaging, you're getting out there talking about your game much more. You're getting into the mm -hmm. forums, right. You're, you're just becoming a salesman for your game, right. And being very social about it, involving your players more, you know, in, in, in what you're doing. Uh, you know, to, to Eric's point of A-B testing, now you can invite your players to come and help you A-B test, right? So it's a little bit more of that uh, being social, build your community aspect that maybe we haven't seen in a mobile before. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting because, I mean, we've seen the rise of Discord as a sort of a, like a de facto forum for, for a lot of this. Reddit has been huge as a, as a forum instead of like these, you know, old school like web-based forums, like you see Discords and Reddits and and then the third one is influencers. Like there's plenty of influencers that are playing your game. And I think 
there's a there's a way to sort of uh, use those channels to drive then traffic to not to go to your app and, and purchase, but actually purchase from your own uh, top up pages. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, my son, my son is a huge fan of Bloons TD six, and he's oh, yeah. watching, you know, uh, you know, S Hyundai and some of the other influencers play that all the time. So, case in point. Yeah, yeah. Just, if there's discount codes, then those influencers can kind of, you know, push those because now you can do that. If if you have exactly. your own pages, you the um, it's it's just like it's like Instagram influencers selling, you know, diet pills, like minus ten percent off uh, from from your next card pack when you use, you know, I don't know code word I, I don't know anyways so let's move on from the diet pills like um eric what do you think is going to be the effect on the app ecosystem as a whole like because this is it when when this news originally broke a lot of people were sharing on on, on you know the mobile dev memo slack on the of slack there was a lot of conversation like wow this is big is this big or like what's going on it's big. I think it's big in the sense that, you know, things are moving in that direction. And this is like one more, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's just kind of one more domino to fall. I think, you know, a lot I think companies will make use of this. They will make money on this. It'll be important to them. I think um, what I see as like the more sort of disruptive change will be and I, the inevitable change is Apple is just going to have to offer in-app alternatives like this mm -hmm. is going to have to happen. And I think, you know, we talked about it in Twig yesterday. My, my sense is they have like an accountant or like a team who's just saying, okay, we know that this is eventually, we're going to have to get to that point eventually. Let's resist it as much as we can because if we can delay it by 12 months, we make this much more money. If we can delay it by 18 months, we make this much more money. And so really it's just a matter of like the preserving that revenue for as long as they can. But I think everyone sees that that's the, that's the end point here. And so that to me will be the really big moment. But, you know, this is still an important change. And I think, um, I, you know, I imagine that, you know, every developer and I certainly, you know, speak to a lot of them who are, have started this process, but every developer is looking into this, right. And cause it just makes sense. It's a no brainer. Why would you not do this? Yeah. It, it yeah. makes zero sense to not do this. Oh, well, that's a, that's a crazy ad for Exola. Um, so, so Chris, uh, what do you do? What do you think? Will, will Google follow suit? Will Google follow suit? Yes. Yeah, I definitely, I do. You know, interestingly, Google's already been working on some things to make it easier uh, for third-party app stores, right, to operate uh, kind of on par with Google Play. Um, you know, so I think Google's definitely thinking about this. They've always had a little bit more of an open-minded approach, obviously, to their, their ecosystem. Um, you know, last year, in fact, Google had said that, and to quote, um, some developers have given us feedback on how we can make the user experience for installing another app store on the device even better. And in response to that feedback, we will be making changes in Android 12 to make it even easier for people to use other app stores on their devices while being careful not to compromise the safety measures, yada, 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 right? So Google, you know, they're already welcoming third-party app stores. Uh, they recognize that that's been happening on Android and they're making it easier now. Um, you know, a few months ago, website XDA found documentation that indicates third-party app stores will be able to update apps on Android 12 without constant user act, user interaction. So odd background updates are, you know, just like you would get in the Google Play Store. And, and this effectively allows third-party stores like the Epic Games Store, you know, for instance, mm -hmm. to function much like the Google Play Store does today. And um, instead of the user getting pop-ups during the install or having to manually update apps from a third-party store, 
they'll, this will all be automatic. So this is a huge thing. And I know it's not directly related to payments, it's, it's updates, but I think it shows the mindset of where Google is. Um, so I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't follow on this or, or may, they may even, you know, take the reins and jump ahead of it and, you know, garner some goodwill because, you know, we haven't really even talked about all the legislation that's coming and the, the court of public opinion. So, um, you know, it seems like Google's a little bit more open to, to all of this. Yeah. What, what do you think, Eric? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly true. I, although I, um, I thought with Google, you could link out to alternative. Is that not right, Chris? That you can link out. You, you can, um, not from Google play, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought, I thought you could, well then I'd imagine that this just has to be applied to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you if think, a, you know, do you guys think yeah. in the future, like when we consider PC gaming, like you always have to download the big client, not the big client, but the uh, sort of like a store client first, like whether it's the Battle.net or it's the, uh, the Wargaming hub or any of that, like you, you first download that and then it gives you the option of the games from that publisher, like a perfect world has the similar type of thing. Like, is that sort of a future that's going to be on mobile? So if I want to play Supercell games, like the best way is to download the Supercell app where I log in with my Supercell ID and then it opens up me the uh, the whole portfolio of Supercell and their investment portfolio. It's like has like twenty five different games, and they're all linked to Supercell. Is that is that where we're heading, or like what do you guys think? I don't think so. I mean, that would violate the the no app stores and the app store rule. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they if they allow alternative app stores, if Apple does, then maybe. But I think that's um, it's you know part of it is also just because that sounds like an arcade app, right? And and Apple's you know historically is has said, I mean, that's just part of the, the guidelines, but they've also just rejected those, right? You can't do mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, if they have to, if they're forced to allow alternative app stores and maybe, but I mean, and you know, alternative app stores are available on Android and no one really does that. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's just, that's, it, you know, that's like, it's, I think it's, it's a harder marketing prop, like a harder, like, you know, sort of direct response advertising proposition. And also like, um, it's just, that's not consistent with how people consume content on mobile right now. So maybe that changes over time, but like, yeah. you know, if, if that was a thing, I think you'd see it on Android and you just don't. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking because that's, that's always an interesting way to interact with PC games where you have to go through their own kind of store page before you get into the game. They show you a couple of ads, you know, everything that is going on while the it downloads the update to a client and you're in the view of that publisher window. And it tries to cross promote and sell different kind of packages. So seems like a missed opportunity on mobile, but I understand it's just not allowed, at least not on iOS. All right. Uh, last part. Yeah. Chris, you wanted to actually, I do want to clarify it. Sorry. Uh, Google on Google play. You can, you can reference third party payments, right. And, and all of that. Sorry. I was talking about just embedded in itself, but you can, on Google Play, you can link out and, and reference these other payment methods. Right, yeah, that's what I was talking about, which is the, the link, yep. right? Yep, 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 yep. Perfect. yep. Perfect. All right, let's move on to the last piece, and that is, you know, Epic's intent behind the whole suit was to prove that Apple was in violation of, of the antitrust laws, and they did not achieve that. So do you think that Epic will continue this pursuit? And, you know, after all, Apple sees this as a win. Epic sees this as a loss. I don't think Tim, neither of the Tims is very happy to, to lose. Both are, are look to be pretty much a winners. So where is this heading? Uh, Eric, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think what my sense is that Epic knew this was not like a winnable lawsuit, but they, they just wanted to like move the conversation forward and in a very public way that shed a big 
you know, spotlight on Apple's practices and they accomplished that. I mean, they got a ton of documents pushed out into the sort of mainstream press, right? Via discovery and in a way that, you know, there's the Apple or there's a Spotify versus Apple, you know, kind of suit that was is ongoing and, in, in, or that actually like was, was sort of ruled on in, in, in the EU. They just haven't sort of issued sort of like a set of rem- remedies yet, but I guess in that suit that it, it just, you know, someone was explaining to me on, on Twitter. I don't, I don't understand the specifics of it. I'm not a lawyer, but they weren't allowed to push those discovery docs into the, into the, into the public view. It's, it, it was, you know, I guess privately litigated or whatever. Um, because it went to the EU. So we didn't get to learn anything in that suit. It, it all happened behind closed doors. And this one, we got to learn a lot, right? I mean, every week there was a, you know, sort of new set of emails that were getting published and it was very interesting <laughs> and, and going back to the, you know, to Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. Um, my favorite, my favorite was the, uh, the one where Tim Sweeney emailed um, maybe Phil Schiller or something. And it was this long email. Was, you, you should change your app store practice, blah, 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 blah. And like Tim Cook just, uh, and I guess he received it too. And he just messaged like, is this the guy that came to one of our rehearsals for, I guess it was for WWDC? <laughs> I didn't even know his name. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was funny. But, but, you know, we got to see all that stuff. And, and, um, and so that's really, I think, the, the, the major achievement of this is just like, hey, you know, The Verge and Wall Street Journal and New York Times published about this, you know, five times each. And now consumers are like, wait a minute, I didn't know the app store worked like that. I thought I just downloaded apps and whatever. Um, so, so I think that was the major achievement here. I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, they, they thought that they were going to sort of win any sort of like concrete concession for themselves. Um, and, you know, they, and, and, and they obviously had to pay some money and, um, and, you know, they petitioned to get Fortnite put back on the store yeah. in, 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 Korea. in South Korea yeah. and, and they said no. So then, you know, they, <laughs> so, you know, they, 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 in terms of like ROI on this, <laughs> it's probably pretty low um, unless you take like a really broad view um but you know maybe they think about it differently than i do they have a lot of money to spare so what do you think chris yeah i mean i think um i mean they'll definitely continue to fight it obviously tim has already said that um you know i know that there's mixed feelings uh even at epic about is this a win or a loss and uh at the end of the day it helps all of us like you said discovery we get to see what's going on uh it actually opens up some of the abilities for for devs to actually profit more and build better relationships with their players. But, you know, what I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to veer off a little bit into some real future think here. And, and Mishka, you love a good conspiracy theory. So, you know, um, you know, taking that long view, I think another way to look at this is, um, you know, what, what are we looking at here when you look past the iPhone, right? This could be existentially critical to some of the plans that, that Tim Sweeney has when he's starting to think about the metaverse. And I know that's such an, a played out word, but when you think about the new technologies that are coming, right, that uh, Epic sees as crucial to an open and interconnected ecosystem, you know, such as, you know, like I said, the metaverse, uh, you know, these technologies are likely gonna be led by Apple and, and their hardware. And that would require, you know, interacting with Apple's ecosystem. And, um, you know, in this context, I could see if that ecosystem is closed off, that it becomes a blocker to some of the sort of real future aspirations that Epic may have, you know, beyond just games and apps on the App Store, but just content being consumed in this open metaverse kind of way. And if Apple, you know, whether it's with their glasses or whatever it might be, right, is a leader in this, 
then I could really see why why you would play a super long game to try to, to break that open, get them designated as a monopoly so that they can't find different ways to either control the data, put taxes on the ecosystem, whatever it might be, right? So, you know, that's kind of your conspiracy yeah. theory, long view uh, perspective to, to, to digest. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point. And like, I, I agree 100%. I mean, that's the battle that's being fought now, right? Is like Facebook and, and Apple, I mean, Facebook, you know, for a long time has realized we got to own the hardware and that's what they're doing. And that's what Apple's doing. And I think a lot of other, um, you know, companies are going to throw their hat in the ring. I think one note, one issue and, and probably where Epic lost the most on this is that they're in, in any, any trust case, you, you start with the definition of a market and then you argue from that position and neither company had their definition of the market accepted. And the, what the judge said was, no, the market we're talking about is mobile games transactions. Right. And so given that scoping, um, you know, like it's, it's hard to, it's it, like, it might be hard to extrapolate this out and say, well, this applies to the metaverse right now. What I think though, we are moving in that direction, but that's probably going to come about less from like lawsuits and individual companies sort of like battling each other and more just like broader regulation. And we see that with the open app markets act, right? I mean that where they defined app store was very broad and much broader than mobile app stores, right? And if that, you know, I don't think that's going to pass, but I feel like that's a starting point. And if something like that does pass, and, and I made this point on, on Mobile Dev Memo, that is going to, it's going to apply to the next generation of like big content platforms, right? It's not going to really apply, not, not in a practical way to, to mobile, because I think that that's already, that the sort of dyna dynamics are in place there. Um, and it'll change things, but I think fundamentally mobile stays the same. But then you talk about the metaverse, you talk about these other new sort of like platforms, maybe something related to like, crypto but all that stuff is still you know in the formative stages and so i think like a, a big you know sweeping regulation like that would would then make those more competitive going forward and, and that's exactly what facebook and apple and and others are thinking about right now all right so while everybody's playing checkers apple and epic is playing chess but most importantly what what we discussed in this podcast is really how to capitalize on these these changes that are coming in as as these two companies and and i mean the whole ecosystem is battling it out like who can control control the data control the payments and through that control the metaverse uh <laughs> anyway so thank you very much chris for for joining and eric as always much appreciated and chris what's the best way to, to reach you sure so i mean you can hit us up at xola.com x s o l l a.com and there's a number of ways to contact us on there uh, business at exola.com is, is our email. Um, yeah. Awesome. And as Eric said, there's everybody is putting their own payment options in. So there's the phone is ringing nonstop. And, and if you don't reply right away, you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> Never too busy for our friends. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you everybody for listening. All right, Mishka. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.